Welcome to the Emotional Wealth Podcast, hosted by certified financial planner, Lon W. Broski. Every two weeks, Lon discusses the current most relevant topics in today's financial climate. He will share with you his insights from 20 plus years of experience that he has found is most important in accomplishing your financial goals. Topics include the equity markets, saving and investing for your goals, the impact on your financial plan as it relates to current events, and more. Now, here is your host of Emotional Wealth, Lon Broski. Welcome to this edition of Emotional Wealth, and I'm so glad that you could take the time today to listen to this podcast because we're going to be focusing on one of the most important aspects of investing, and that's investor behavior. My name is Lon Broski. I'm a certified financial planner with Pines Wealth Management in St. Louis, and our goal in bringing you these podcasts is very simple. We want to help educate investors. It's just that simple. We firmly believe that an educated investor makes better, more intelligent decisions within their financial plan, which ultimately helps keep them on track with their financial goals. So I want to talk about behavior, okay? Your behavior matters. Your behavior is important within your investments. I think back to those times when I was very young and I had two parents that were very big on behavior. When we would go out to eat or go out to the store, anywhere that we were at where we could be seen by other people, mom and dad always emphasized your behavior. It was always about our behavior when we were little. And so we learned to have good behavior. But we didn't learn about having good behavior when it comes to investments. We just skipped over that part. I know when I took consumer economics in college, that certainly wasn't a point of emphasis in the class, right? We learned how to balance our checkbooks, but we didn't learn how to behave with our investments. And I think that's probably one of the most overlooked aspects of your financial plan, of owning investments, is how do we behave? Now, I will tell you that the financial press is starting to get better about focusing on your behavior, but your behavior, if it's not correct when you own your investments, could ultimately get you further away from your goals rather than closer to your goals. So I want to talk about how we control our behavior specifically within our investments. Because we have lost the concept of applying behavior to our investments. And then maybe we didn't lose it. Maybe we never had it, right? Maybe we were never taught about it. We're just totally disconnected as investors today because we have so much information in the palm of our hands, we forget about our behavior. We want to react, We want to react to news. We want to react to headlines. We want to react to fear. We want to react to panic. And so when I think about behavior, I always think about some of the great investors that we've ever seen. Okay. And and you can't have a greatest investors list without mentioning Warren Buffett. One of his top quotes would be, benign neglect bordering on sloth remains the hallmark of our investment process. And if you think about that for a second, that is profound. 
the heart and soul of his investment philosophy is benign neglect bordering on sloth remains the hallmark of our investment process. Warren Buffett knows about investor behavior. He knows that it makes a difference. Benign neglect bordering on sloth. That means he's not active. He doesn't let his behavior guide his investments. He's certainly not listening to the headlines every day. He's not certainly listening to the media. He's not focusing on that. He doesn't listen to the narrative of being reactive. Because when the markets drop, when the economy turns, or we're in a bear market, or we're in a correction, whatever you want to call it, the narrative immediately drives to being reactive. Being reactive to the fear and the panic that you're seeing. And you'll see headlines, you'll see specials on television about moves to make right now, how to protect your retirement right now. And and the media does a real good job of that narrative because when times are bad, when you have a correction or a bear market, they'll tell you exactly what you should be doing with your investments now. And when times are good, they'll be telling you exactly how to prepare for the downturn that's coming or for the fear and panic that's coming or why if times are good, here's why you should be worried about fear and panic. It's just constant. And so that tends to have an influence on your behavior. And when you talk about behavior, you have to start looking at behavioral finance. And again, I mentioned it earlier, that's a topic that has become more relevant over the last maybe five years I've seen in the financial media. I'm so thankful that we are talking more about behavioral finance because it's the one area that's commonly overlooked by investors. We don't even think about it. We haven't been taught it. And so we become reactive and it can make the difference. Your behavior can make the difference between an investment return and investor return. Notice I said investment and investor. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But what is behavioral finance? Behavioral finance is a study of the influence of psychology on the behavior of investors. That's it. And how do you behave within your own investments? Once again, your behavior has a lot to do with your results. Studies on the fact that investors are not always rational have been done over and over. We are more emotional beings. We have limits on our self-control. And we're very easily influenced by even our own biases. And we may not recognize those biases. Let's go back to Warren's quote. He says, benign neglect, bordering on sloth. There was a recent study done by Capital Group that reaffirms what Warren Buffett was talking about. The study tells us that our behavior matters depending upon the length of time. So especially if you're a younger investor and if you're listening to this podcast, think about your time frames. Because if I look at every single one-year time frame, and, and again, Capital Group went back 91 years and looked at every single one-year rolling period. Going back 91 years, looking at every single rolling one-year period. 73% of the time, S&P 500 was positive. 27% of the time, it was negative. That's not bad. I take those odds, especially if I were going down to the boat, right? If I were going to put my money on red or black with a 73% chance of making money and a 27% chance of losing money, I'd take those odds. 
But they went a step further. They extrapolated that time frame. Now they looked at three-year periods. Once again, 91 years looking back, three-year rolling periods. 83% of the time the S&P 500 was positive. 17% of the time it was negative. You know where I'm going with this. You know where American Group was going with this study. The next step that they did was look at five-year periods. And again, 91 years here. Every consecutive five-year rolling period in the S&P 500, 87% of those five-year periods were positive. 13% were negative. Took it one step further. And again, specifically for younger investors, time frames matter. But if they looked at 10-year periods, 94% of rolling 10-year periods were positive and 6% were negative. So what does that mean? Simply means that benign neglect bordering on sloth enhances your chances of becoming successful. It's the difference between having a positive investor return that equals your investment return. The longer your time frame, the better chance of success. If you actually study why you invest, you find something very unique. The why we invest in chasing returns and owning exotic type of investments, if you will, whether it be real estate or options or the latest hot investments that you're talking about with your neighbors, we always focus about rates of return. And I would suggest to you that's wrong. Your rate of return is not what you're after. What you're after is accomplishing your goals. Again, benign neglect bordering on sloth is focusing on goal, not focusing on return. Because you may have the exact same goals as your neighbor, right? You may want to retire, but you may want to retire at a different age. Maybe you require a different amount of income. That's different. Therefore, we may have different investments. Just because your neighbor has one investment doesn't mean it's a good investment for you. Even though it may be treating your neighbor great, it doesn't mean that rate of return that he or she is getting is going to get closer to your goals. The idea of retirement is different for everyone. For myself, I like to golf. I like to travel. My neighbor doesn't. Guy's a sloth. He doesn't like to do anything. And there's not anything wrong with that. And his goals are different. His needs in asking what he wants from his money is going to be a lot different than what I'm asking from my money. That's why we invest, to reach our goals. And so that study from Capital Group, whether it be 1, 5, 3, 10, can give us some insight on how our own behavior matters in our investment results. When we sit down with our clients, we start with goals and we set up a system to pursue those goals. The system that we use consists of three buckets, a short-term bucket, a mid-term bucket, and a long-term bucket. Inside of those buckets, when we own those investments, we're going to know why the money is there, what the goal of that investment is, and what the expectations are. So we know exactly what to expect from each bucket. That first bucket is a short-term bucket. It's going to be the smallest of the three buckets. And just exactly as it's named, it's for short-term goals. Any money that's in our short-term bucket, we need to have 100% probability of a return where do we get that? You get that in savings accounts. You get that in money market accounts. You get that in CDs. You're going to own those types of investments in the short-term bucket. 
If you need a new roof or you need a new air conditioning, you're going to grab that money out of the short-term bucket because you know the money's going to be there, right? You don't want to call your contractor up and your contractor says, hey, it's going to be $5,000 for a new air conditioner. And you go, well, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, my portfolio is down 40%. Can I only pay you $3,000? No, that's not going to fly. <laughs> so that's what we're going to use in that short-term bucket. Now we talk about the midterm bucket. The midterm bucket is for our longer-term goals. Things that happen between now and retirement. An example would be if you have children, young children, you're going to set up a college account because that's going to be used in 10, 12, 13 years from now. And so you're going to be using a little bit more aggressive investments. Maybe you want to own a second house down in Florida, Arizona. You have a goal of getting that within the next five, 10 years. That's a longer term goal. And that's what the midterm bucket is going to be for. Last bucket is going to be the long-term bucket. Long-term bucket is obviously just exactly as it says for the long-term. This is going to take care of you for your entire life expectancy after you retire. And as a result, our time frame is going to be much longer. So that long-term bucket is going to consist of investments that help us towards our long-term goal. But let's change gears for a second because I want to expand on behavioral finance a little bit more. I want to talk about your investment flaws. Specifically, I want to talk about your investment biases. Biases can be blind spots in our investments, and we all have them, but we need to be mindful of them. The first bias that I see most common is overconfidence. We all think that we can get a higher rate of return than our neighbors. And a recent study was done with drivers that confirms this overconfidence bias. And so these drivers were surveyed, and 93% of the drivers that were surveyed, 93% of them thought that they were in the top 50% of all drivers. But that's an example of overconfidence. We all think we are better drivers than we are. We all think that we are better investors than we are. Another statistic of overconfidence, 81% of new business owners believe that they will succeed when we find that only 39 actually do. Again, that's overconfidence. We think we're going to reach our financial goals because we have a great rate of return or we're chasing that rate of return, but chances are that some of us are going to fall short. Second bias I see quite a bit is confirmation bias. This is more prevalent than you would think. What is confirmation bias? Very simply, you tend to read and seek information that reaffirms what you already know. In other words, you read what you want to hear rather than what you should hear. I try and read articles that are contradictory to what my beliefs are. I have a belief about inflation is coming. I'm going to read a contradictory article that says inflation is not coming. If I think that international investments are going to do well, I read a contradictory article that international investments are not going to do well. I know a market correction is coming, but I don't want to think about market correction, so I'm not going to read about market corrections. But yet we need to think beyond market corrections. We need to understand how your investments are going to act when that market correction happens. That forms a more complete picture of our total investments confirmation bias. It's not looking at the other half of the coin. And the last bias that I see quite often is recency bias. And recency bias, very simply, is what's happening around us right now. An example of recency bias would be making an investment decision based upon an election outcome, based upon where interest rates are, based upon what's happening in the economy, upon the fact that unemployment is going down or going up. It's making investment decisions on information that's happening right now that could influence your decisions 
and could ultimately impact your long-term results. That's recency biased. And so Dalbar recently did a study to look at these biases. And they did a study and looked at the S&P 500 over the last 20 years, from 1999 to December of 2019. And I found that over that 20-year period, the S&P 500 returned 6%. That was the investment return. Remember, I mentioned it earlier, investment return versus investor return. The S&P 500 returned 6.06%. Investors earned 4.2%. 4 That's 25% less. Why? You know where I'm going with this, right? Behavior. Investor behavior. They let their emotions dictate what investments they own rather than their goals, which is the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Imagine you go into the doctor and you say, listen, doc, I need open heart surgery. The doctor goes, wait, what? You need what? Well, I need open heart surgery. Doc's going to have a confused look on his face and he's going to go, well, why do you say that? Well, my neighbors are getting it. My neighbors had open heart surgery. A buddy of mine that I work with had open heart surgery. They all had it. It's good enough for me. That's letting emotions dictate decisions within your investments. That's the same analogy. Now, it doesn't mean that open heart surgery can't save your life one day. It just means that it's not right for that particular situation. So if you compare that to investments, when a market correction happens, and everybody around us in making changes, we emotionally infuse our investments. And when we do that, that behavior could alter the outcome. So let's go back to the Dalbar study. If you would like a copy of that Dalbar study, please feel free to reach out and email me at lbroski at pineswealth.com. That's lbroski at pineswealth.com. So over that same time frame, the last 20 years, they looked at 10 cases of where the losses were most severe. And in eight of those cases, the investors would have been better off taking no action at all. Again, think about how profound that is. In 10 of the most severe cases of losses over that 20-year period, eight of the 10 would have been better off had the investor simply took no action. You want another indication of your behavior matters? This is from Capital Group. Capital Group tells us that if you look at a hypothetical $1,000 investment in the S&P 500, and in this case, it looks from January 2009 through December 30th of 2019, 10 years. If you look at the S&P 500, excluding dividends, if you were invested the entire period. So imagine you fell asleep from January 1st of 2009 through December 31st of 2018. And you didn't know what was going on in the market. You had zero ideas because you were asleep the whole time, right? You were snoring. And the market had just crashed and we were going into recession. We had a highly contentious presidential election and, and Congress was a mess. If you just stay invested the entire period, you didn't pay attention to any of that noise. Your $1,000 turns into $2,775. If you missed the 10 best days, your $1,000 is now $1,722, which is $1,000 less than what you would have been. There's investor return versus investment return. Because recency bias of taking into account elections and interest rates and what Congress is doing, taking that reaction, using that recency bias. If you missed the 20 best days, your $1,000 is now 
and $28. And if you happen to miss the 30 best days over that time frame, it's now $918. You've lost money from 2009 to 2018. The Capital Group study found that if you missed the best 30 days, you would have actually lost money. 30 days. That's all it takes. And your rate of return is negative. I'm not saying buy and hold here, okay? It's not what I'm advocating for. I'm, I'm advocating for buy and watch. What do we need to do in order to confront our behavior in our investments? Number one, find an advisor. If you don't have one, I do encourage you to find one. Find an advisor that you're comfortable with. Find an advisor that you have good rapport with. Find out how that advisor is paid because you're going to have to pay for that advice. But just as we talked about in that Dalbar study, if your advisor charges you, but your rate of return is 25% greater than under your own guidance, I think you would agree that finding that advisor is worth it. Research and look at both sides of the coin. Eliminate that confirmation bias. Eliminate that overconfidence. Know how your portfolio is going to act in good times and in bad times. And know that it's still going to keep you on track regardless of the times. It's about being proactive versus reactive. Understand that the particular mix of investments that you may have and you know how they act in good times and bad times, that's going to weigh positively on your behavior. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this episode of Emotional Wealth. If you enjoy these podcasts, feel free to support our podcast by sharing with family or friends or anyone that might be interested in becoming a more educated investor who makes better, more intelligent decisions. You've been listening to the Emotional Wealth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Lon, you can follow him on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit his website at pineswealth.com. And as always, if you have any questions or ideas for upcoming podcasts, please call Lon anytime, toll free, 800 467 6567 or email him at podcast at pineswealth.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, happy money.